Hello, and welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, where you'll hear advice from experienced safety leaders on how to protect your people and business. I'm Peter Steinfeld. Today, I'm speaking with John Arnberg, a former firefighter and FEMA planning specialist. John currently serves as Senior Director of Public Safety and Emergency Management at Innova Health System. In this episode, John discusses how he navigates the top threats to healthcare safety, including supply chain disruptions, active threats, and cyber attacks to maintain resiliency and continuity of care. Let's listen in. Hey, John, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Peter. I appreciate it. Looking forward to our conversation today. Indeed, me too. Well, for starters, let's go ahead and jump into it. Can you tell us a bit about Innova Health System and the unique challenges that you face there? Absolutely. So Innova is Northern Virginia's leading nonprofit healthcare provider. Our mission is to provide world-class healthcare every time, every touch to each person in the communities we have the privilege to serve. And really, it's an honor, not only treating patients and the population in Northern Virginia, but really being able to be integrated into emergency management at a national level. But also with that, you know, comes the challenges. So whether it's supply chain or mass casualties or inaugurations, insurrection, all of the things that happen in D.C. and and outside of D.C. affect Innova Health System and our ability to treat our patients. Yeah, based on the nature of your business, you definitely have some unique things that you have to be concerned about, not just for your organization, but the public at large, too. And it's just a very interesting dynamic that I definitely want to get into. In your experience, what's the number one threat to maintaining safe and smooth operations in the healthcare industry today? I think the biggest issue that I see is infrastructure. What people don't realize is healthcare is part of the critical infrastructure in our country, but our reliance on other critical infrastructure, electricity, supply chain, water, those type of things can severely impact our ability to operate and our ability to provide care to our patients. And working at Inova and seeing the the breadth of our services and, and the true impact that we have in Northern Virginia, any impact to one of those utilities will impact our ability to provide care. And it could potentially be devastating. If we lose power and we have to function on generator power, our ability to provide care is reduced drastically. And potentially being the only level one trauma center in the region, we could have to turn away some trauma patients or not provide that higher level of care that they deserve. Yeah, you can't operate on a like a just-in-time inventory model where, eh, we got to shut down operations for a day. That's going to hurt profit a little bit, but we can get by. You guys can't do that. It's got to be open 24 by 7 by 365. So with that in mind, how do you stay resilient in the face of those disruptions when continuity of care is so paramount? I think the big thing with continuity of care and, and really functioning within that 24-7, 365 model is relationships. Building those relationships not only with our vendors to make sure that we have emergency contracts in place so we're continuously supplied, but also those relationships with the public entities, our government. We work very closely with not only federal, state, and local governments. We have a very close relationship with our healthcare coalition. We work hand-in-hand with them on a daily basis, and we're consistently planning and training and exercising. And, you know, the big thing when, when we talk about resilience is 
I look at resilience in two different ways. So we have operational resilience, and that's our supply chain, our contracts, our utilities. And then we have team member resilience, right? Because at the end of the day, without our team members, we can't operate. We can't provide the care without our clinicians, without our support services. And that's a big thing that I found throughout my years that a lot of people don't look at is support services. If we don't have EDS, we don't have food services, we can't function. They're just as important as a doctor or a nurse to the overall enterprise and the, honestly, the success that Inova has. Which one do you think is more important? Is it the operational side? Is it the team side? Are they equally important? I, I think they're equally important. And the reason being is our, our team members are the ones that drive the care. They're the ones that drive the the strategy, right? So all of those plans, all of the processes that we have in place, one of our team members champion that, right? They, they went through the process with our vendors to ensure that all of those are, are in place and that our vendors are being held accountable to the promises that they've made. And I think something that's kind of a niche that I realized when I came to Nova is our blood services. Mm. So most hospitals, healthcare entities, they use the Red Cross or a, a third-party provider for blood. Inova does not. We actually have our own service line that is it's blood donor services. So we have blood collection sites throughout Northern Virginia. We have mobile blood mobiles that go out and do blood drives. We, you know, we coordinate with fire and rescue and run joint blood drives. And then we have brick and mortar buildings where the community comes, they give blood, and we use that blood not only for our operations, but we also provide blood to other other hospitals and healthcare entities throughout the region. So during COVID, when obviously people were not giving blood, people weren't going out, everyone was staying home, our blood supply was drastically reduced. I mean, to the point that we were seriously looking at, are we going to have to reduce the amount of trauma patients? that we can care for. Wow. Do we have to reduce surgeries? And those are the types of things that we look at when we do our hazard vulnerability analysis, but I think really focusing on the services that your organization offers is is critical. Yeah, and something you said earlier really caught my attention just because we talk about it on this show all the time, which is in an emergency, it's really hard to go it alone. You have to have relationships with other organizations, suppliers, public safety entities. And it sounds like maybe more than most organizations, you do spend a lot of time day in and day out coordinating with those outside folks instead of only looking inside. So if you think about that, like in your opinion, how important is it that you split your day, if you were to put it in averages, like 50% looking inward, 50% looking outward? Yeah, especially in my position, it's critical. I, I'd almost say that it's probably 75, 25. Wow. Where I'm always on a phone with an external partner on a meeting, making sure that all of our plans are aligned, that we have the collaboration and, and communication pathways. And, and you'll hear it all over the industry. You never want to meet a partner at an incident command post, right? That is the worst thing that you could ever do. So I ensure that our team has those relationships, right? And that the people in the positions outside of Inova, they know my team, they know me, they know our leaders. Because at the end of the day, I'm not always going to be there, right? I like vacations. 
My family likes vacations. So someone's got to be able to ensure that that communication is consistently there and never broken. Well, what are some of the other threats to employee or perhaps patient safety that are just top of mind to you at Anova? One big thing, and we hear this all over healthcare now, is workplace violence. Workplace violence is, it's growing. It's getting worse. Our team members are consistently being faced with verbal aggression, physical aggression. And right now, I co-chair our system workplace violence committee. And we're really trying to push out new initiatives, focusing on data, data collection, and focusing on the incidents that we have at Inova and trying to guide or create a roadmap as to how we can create a safe environment for our team members. Because again, it goes to resiliency, right? At the end of the day, everything that my job is, is creating that resilient environment and defending Inova's brand. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think I remember reading a statistic recently that healthcare workers face, I think, more than almost any other group out there, workplace violence. What do you do about that? What's like the top thing you can do to help maybe create a calmer environment or train up your people to deal with those situations and know what to do to get themselves out of it? Yeah, yeah. And and we take both approaches, right? So we, we ensure that we're creating a calming, nurturing environment for our patients and our visitors, but we also ensure that our team members have the proper tools. So we've got a plethora of different resources that we provide our team members. Every one of our team members goes through de-escalation training, so they have the proper tools to deal with the situation. We've also implemented weapons detection systems, which we have at all of our entrances, all of our main ED entrances and our freestandings which will identify a weapon coming into a facility. We've increased the amount of security officers that we have. So really, you know, taking all these different aspects and bringing them into one really creates that comprehensive response that we have to workplace violence. And, you know, we're constantly looking for new training, new initiatives, new products out there to create a safe environment for our team members. And speaking of those team members, have you found them, generally speaking, to be receptive and appreciative of that training? Like they were almost starving for it? Yeah, honestly, you know, we we constantly get thank yous and compliments. Everyone's very appreciative with the physical security that we have added. It provides, you know, a, a little bit of an inconvenience, but I always like to think I'll provide an inconvenience if you can go home to your family at the end of the day, mm. right? There, there is nothing that is going to stop me if our team members are safe. Yeah, and it seems like that training to help people understand how to de-escalate things with words can be so powerful. Having a big security guard standing in the corner gets expensive. It's threatening to people. But if someone just knows how to use the right word or the right phrase, it can take something that could blow up into a really bad situation to... Nothing, just another event that happened throughout the day. And we're seeing that a lot with retail as well. It's not just healthcare workers, but retail uh, employees are being accosted and threatened and things like that. And frankly, if they're not getting the right training, they could contribute to the problem by saying the wrong thing. So it's just so important. Absolutely, Peter. And, you know, I think the other thing that we focus on is situational awareness. Emergency managers or public safety 
practitioners think of situational awareness as getting an overview of the incident or the situation in front of you, right? But sometimes for our clinical providers or our support services, we teach them the techniques to read people's body language so they can see when a person is, is starting to escalate or to be aware of your surroundings. Keep an eye on the interactions that are happening to the side of you. Because you don't know what the person's history is or what they're dealing with on a day-to-day basis when they come to see you. They, they could have just gotten fired from their job and now they're at the hospital. So what are those pre-existing relationships or conditions that have happened before your interaction? Because not everyone wants to necessarily blow up or, you know, escalate, but sometimes there's, it happens. So if our team can identify that and preemptively de-escalate the situation, really it works out in everybody's favor. Because sometimes, you know, that person might just need a hug or have a conversation, add that human element to the interaction, which I think in this day and age, we've gotten away from, especially after COVID with all the technology that we're now using and people working from home. I feel that that human element in our society has really taken a hit. Yeah, and it's it's hard to deal with it, the volume of interaction that you're having too. You, you do it three times in a row and, and then you're getting tired and now you've got another 70 to do for the rest of the day before you go home. So keeping up that empathy is incredibly difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I don't envy our clinical staff. It's a hard enough job making sure that you're taking care of the patient's need. But when you're adding all these other things on top of it, it's amazing the things that they do. And I'm just happy that my team is able to provide the support that they need. So we talked a lot about physical safety and security, but I'd like to switch over to cyber. What's the key to tackling cyber resilience in your industry? It seems like the issue is really big and it's just hard to face alone. Yeah, Peter, you know, and cyber is one of those things that terrifies me. And there are very few things that actually scare me. It's mm. it's unknown, and and you can't see it. And, you know, when you look at healthcare and all the different applications that we use throughout our our day-to-day business, right? I mean, there's probably over 300, 400 different applications that are running on a daily basis. Wow. Yeah. And the vulnerabilities that come with those applications, simply because of integration. We want every system to integrate with another system to make our team's jobs easier. But with every integration comes a security vulnerability. With every new program comes a security vulnerability. And something that we've all seen in the news, you know, healthcare entities being hacked, ransomware attacks, they want money, they want this, but simply to take down a healthcare entity for a day, especially someone as big as as Anova, it really takes down the community. Mm. IT ransomware attacks is the one thing that I'm just constantly looking at. And it doesn't have to be a hospital. They could they could attack our water treatment plants. They could attack our building operations. In this day and age, everyone's going to building automation. Building automation is great until you can't use it anymore or you're locked out. Now you can't operate your boilers, your elevators, your anything. 
Yeah. And something you said before was pretty interesting, which is you feel that it's okay to be annoyed a little bit dealing with security because you can go home safe at the end of the day by just dealing with that annoyance versus if it weren't there, you'd have a much bigger headache to deal with. And it seems like that's true of of cybersecurity too. You're only as strong as your weakest link and your weakest links usually form because people are annoyed with the security protocols they're supposed to follow, physical or cyber, and they just don't comply. So it seems like the best thing the individuals in an organization can do is just to say, you know what, I'm just going to put up with the annoyances because (laughs) the other end of the spectrum is way more annoying. Yes, yes. I mean, we, we all deal with traffic on a daily basis and it's annoying, but we still go out and travel. I think we've gotten to a point in our lives where we just, we want things on demand. We want things to be easy, but we don't think of all the other aspects that come into it or the vulnerabilities or what's going to happen because we made this too easy. Everyone wants, oh, why do I have to go through this weapons detection system? Well, to ensure that you're safe, because the amount of active shooter incidents that have been happening in this country is astronomical and outrageous. So we're ensuring that you're safe. In most organizations, when they have like an advanced system go down, they can wait for a few hours or a day until it comes back up to reestablish production or whatever it is they do. You can't do that. You've got a patient there on the gurney. Your whole team, not just the older doctors, but the younger ones that know no difference, are relying on that new fancy system. And then sometimes the younger doctors or nurses or whatever, they don't understand the old way of doing it and they don't know what to do next. So you also have to think about how do you train them on the old ways if the new fancy system goes down? Yeah, I'm actually glad that you brought that up. Fall of 22. Our IT team went around and did, in conjunction with my team, did some tabletop exercises, right? Some cyber tabletop exercises, a couple service lines, and then went to a couple hospitals. And one of our CMOs at one of the hospitals was like, I'm not sure that this young generation of doctors, if we had to go to paper charting, that they would actually know what to do. Wow. Because they're trained on the computers. I looked at him, I said, well, you would have to go around and do just-in-time training. Mm. And you'd have to teach them on the spot, this is how you paper chart, this is how we're going to you know, save the record, this is how we're going to transfer the records to the pharmacy, to the lab in order to get those orders filled. Yeah, technology is great, and it makes our lives easier until we don't have it. That's exactly right. Well, how would you describe your approach to running an effective emergency management program overall? Yeah, you know, I think it's really just that collaboration and communication. Really, and that's internal as well. So a lot of what I do, I rely on on other subject matter experts. I'm not a doctor. I don't know the clinical process. I'm not a pharmacist. I'm not supply chain. But if I can sit down with those people, build the relationships, and pull the critical elements of information that I need to develop their plan, then I've succeeded. And then going back, once that plan is developed, it's not, okay, we're going to put it on policy stat because it's now completed. It's reviewing with them on an annual basis. What has changed in your process? What new team members do you have that we need to educate on what the plan is? And then what integrations have you had since we last wrote this plan that we need to focus on? Because my team, we can't be everywhere. So... These service lines, these other departments, they're constantly working. They're constantly growing, right? Adapting to the need. So they could have another contract, another collaboration with this other department where 
if my team doesn't capture that and make sure that we have a plan, if that fails or a plan for continuity of operations, then we're going to let the entire enterprise down. And really it's building those relationships and understanding. You know, I'm constantly learning, Peter. I hoped I was done learning when I was done with college, <laughs> um, but I was wrong. And every day I learn something new and, and I try to educate myself around healthcare as a whole. If I read something about supply chain or pharmacy, that's more knowledge that I have that I can bring to the table to help my team build and exercise and train on their plans. Yeah, no, I agree. I think a a really great continuity or resiliency manager, the value they bring to the table is not that they know the answer to everything. It's that they know the right questions to ask and that they wear glasses that view the world in a worst case scenario. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And you go to the experts who have to keep doing their jobs when things are good or when they're bad because they're still going to need to do those jobs when things are bad. And you just tell them, hey, you got to think about these scenarios. And then those people are experts. They'll go, ah, you're right. I didn't think about that. Okay, let's do this, this, and this. So it's a great collaboration. Yeah. And, you know, I think some people, they get intimidated because you're going to a doctor or you're going to a surgeon, someone that is way smarter than I am. And you're saying, all right, listen, I need your process. And a lot of people, they, they have trouble having that conversation. Yeah. Right. Because they think, oh, there's an intimidation factor or this doctor is not going to take me seriously. But I've learned throughout my career and even when I worked for FEMA, if you're just willing to go have those conversations, doctors are very smart people, but they're very smart people on the subject that they know. But they're also smart enough to know, I don't know emergency management, but this guy does. So if this guy can help me do my job, Maybe I should have the conversation with him, right? Maybe I should give him the hour that he's asking for once a quarter or whatever it may be to make sure. Because at the end of the day, we all have one mission, and that is to ensure that we can take care of our patients. Well, can you share any really good memorable experiences from your time in the healthcare industry? Yeah, you know, I I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a good one, and there's been a lot, but I, I definitely say that it was something that not only helped me build my career in healthcare, but really changed my perspective around not only the world and and how I live my life, but how I focused my career since then. And in 2018, I was at a hospital in Chicago, Mercy Hospital and Medical Center. And I was six months on the job. We had just finished our triannual survey. It was the week of Thanksgiving, the Monday of Thanksgiving. And we had an active shooter in our parking. And it was one of our ED doctor's fiancés. They had broken up and he came to the hospital and he ended up shooting and killing her and then made his way into the hospital and shot and killed a pharmacist and then ended up shooting and killing a Chicago police officer. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, it was definitely probably the worst day of my life up to this point. But it was also something that if that resilience is built in there and and you're made for this industry, it's something that you take, you deal with the emotions, but you know that it's reality. So you need to take it and you need to grow from it. And to this day, I, I focus my career on never allowing something like that to happen. Mm. Or if it does, because we can't prevent everything, is making sure that our team is prepared to respond 
and then recover. Is my wife happy with the constant work and the, you know, the education and the drive that, that I now have? Probably not, but she knows that it's for a reason. And she knows that at the end of the day, my focus on making sure that team members go home to their family transfers to our relationship, right? And to my family. So being able to take that horrific event and turn it into something positive, it is really the driving factor. And, you know, it's unfortunately something that, that we deal with in, in our lives. I, I just wish that more people would recognize the importance of preparedness and the importance of working with each other, right? That at the end of the day, we all work with each other every day. So why not collaborate on some planning and some exercises and some training? Yep. Well, that's why we do this show. It's just to help spread the word, make sure other professionals like you get great ideas about how they can better run their operations. And then that network effect really spreads. And uh, I'm really sorry you had to go through that situation. And I thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, no, you know, every time that I share that story or it gets brought up, it brings a piece back, but it also reminds me of all the great things that that have happened since and what I've learned since, right? I, I think without that horrific event, you know, my career path could have been drastically different. Mm. I, I don't know. I can't predict the future, but I know that that event coupled with COVID and all the different responses I've had since I've been at Inova, potential Ebola, Afghan repatriation efforts, all of these major responses, you know, it just, it builds that experience and it builds my ability to help and my ability to make sure that our community can handle whatever comes its way. No better teacher than experience. Absolutely. Well, as we start to wrap up, do you have any final thoughts or advice that you can share with other emergency managers, regardless of the industry they're in? Yeah, you know, I, I just say open lines of communication with each other, with our partners in, in the public or private sector, whatever it may be. Don't be afraid to have the conversation. Don't be afraid to reach out to someone. Even if you don't know, make the phone call. I, I know that, you know, emergency management, everyone thinks it's, you know, it's nationwide. It's, it's huge. It's very small when you, when you get down to it. And someone's always willing to, to answer a phone call or to answer a question that someone may have. I see it in these groups that I belong to on social media. I see it at the conferences that I go to. No one's going to say no. You just need to have the strength to have that conversation, right? And sometimes it's awkward. We're not all salesmen. But at the end of the day, if you can't communicate during blue skies, how are you going to communicate during gray skies? Very well said. So important to network, network, network. Absolutely. John, thanks so much for being here today. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Peter. It's, it's been great. To learn more about John and his work with Innova Health Systems, please check the links in the show notes. We'll be back next week with more expert advice to help you protect your business and people. To catch video highlights from today's episode, just search for Alert Media on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. 
To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.